0: Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. This is a 15 week study of Who Holds Forgiveness. The word forgiveness brings different emotions to each of us. Join us as we dig deeper into who holds forgiveness. Here's Jacqueline. We're gonna do scripture, let's do scripture. We are going to start in Luke, Luke chapter one. Before we read scripture, Beginning in Luke 1, we're going to start with verse 68. Before we do that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I sit here so excited, so full of excitement, Lord, over what you are doing, what you have done over these last a few weeks of our new series. Lord God, we came together with the question of who holds forgiveness. And we're seeing, we're seeing so fully and so clearly who holds forgiveness our forgiveness. Lord, it's you. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what our day looks like right now. Our forgiveness is literally held in the very hand that created this world, the very hand that created each of us. I thank you so much for being that big, for being that good. I pray that you will help us to fall in love with you even more today. Help us to Read this scripture. Read from Luke 1. I pray that if we peek into Matthew 6, if we read into Mark 5, whatever scripture, Heavenly Father, that you bring into this room today, I pray that it will cause us to fall in love with you even more. Help us to meet Jesus even closer. Help us to learn how to be filled with the Spirit that much more beautiful. Help us to grow. Help us to grow into the person that you've created us to be, that you've called us to be, the person that you see us to be. Open our eyes to who we are in your eyes. Lord, that's so hard for us to do sometimes as humans, as women. We see our faults. We see our flaws. We see who we are. And we forget to see who we are through your eyes. Lord God, I pray that you'll open our eyes today. Help us to see We pray and ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1, and again, there is a fair warning for those who are new. Apparently, Jacqueline talks lightly, so I'm going to really, really try to proclaim my voice, so if you didn't hear me while I'm praying, I do apologize. It came to my head as I was praying, talk louder, talk louder, so I'm going to try. If I don't, just talk to God. You'll have a good time. He is always there with each and every one of us. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 68. Luke chapter 1, verse 68. It says these words. This is a, it says these words from Zechariah, the dad of John the Baptist, who we talked about on week one. He proclaims these words over his baby boy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. These are quite the words. Imagine holding, holding that little boy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation to us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He points back to the old scriptures as he's proclaiming what we hold as the new scriptures. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies And from the hand of all who hate us. It doesn't take much to go through the old scriptures and read at least one story where God comes and rescues his people from the enemies. Are you thinking of at least one story? I'm sure we could all write a story and they could be different for each and every one of us. A passage from the Old Testament where God came, rescued his people from an enemy. Whether you're in Nehemiah or Joshua or Judges. Or Genesis. You pick a story. That's what God does, is it not? He rescues us from our enemies. Here it says, 71. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy. And I pray our eyes see what this is saying. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Don't forget the old scriptures. Don't ever forget the old scriptures. 73 says the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Do you see the crossover from the old scriptures to the new scriptures do you see how he just turns this right around to us? This is like the bridge point from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The promise of God and his mercy and the promise of Jesus and his mercy. It's a, it's a bridge in this one sentence. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, present tense, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness, and in righteousness before him all our days, including our day today. And then he says in verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And again, we talked about John the Baptist in week one. If you missed week one, you can catch that on our podcast. It's there, Women Inseparable. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You're going to go before the Lord to prepare the Lord's ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people, to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. And there's our word forgiveness. Verse 78 says, "Because," And here's why John was called to do what John was called to do. Because of the tender mercy <clears throat> Of our God. And because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those. And catch these words. The mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, will give light to those who sit where? That sit in darkness. And that sit in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. These were the words that were spoken over a a newborn. Over this one little boy, these words were spoken of the Old Testament and a prophecy on where that's going. And where is that going? To Jesus. It's going to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus, what he was demonstrating on the cross, the mercy of God, shown through the mercy of the body of Jesus Christ in his death in his burial, and in his resurrection. It's all about the mercy of God. So we've been talking for three weeks, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Did anybody over these last three weeks hear the word mercy? In our hearts, in our time with the Lord, on our individual moments with scripture and with our God, did the word mercy ever cross your mind as you're saying, God, you've forgiven me. Oh, what sweet mercy. Mercy. It's the very heart of forgiveness. It's what allows forgiveness to be offered. It's what opens the door for forgiveness to be given is mercy. We've got four books in this Bible that's called the gospel, right? We've got our Matthew, our Mark, our Luke, and John. Lots of similar stories that lace throughout. And through it out, through the whole four books, you can see over and over and over and over mercy mercy, mercy. We see the words Jesus had compassion. You think of those thousands that were hungry in the wilderness and Jesus had what? Compassion over them. It's all about the mercy of our God. It's the mercy of our God that allows us to get on our knees It's the mercy of God that allows us to pray to the very God who can hold the entire existence in his hands. Little bit of a big God there, isn't it? We look up at the stars at night and we get blown away by the beauty of what we see. And yet our God holds the stuff that we can't even see. That the wisest of our nation creates the best of the machinery that can't even figure out this much of what God has created out there. That's how big our God is. He created it. He knows each and every one of those stars by name. And he loves them all. That's how big our God is. This is the mercy of God. When we think about you, when you think of yourself in that mirror, and you think about that forgiveness issue that you can't forgive yourself for, God can forgive you. God has forgiven you. You call upon the name of Jesus Christ, and you are forgiven. You are not just forgiven. This is the beautiful thing about salvation. It's not just that you're forgiven for that sin when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. We are forgiven of all our sins, even that sin that you won't admit. Ha! Anybody else have that? I used to have that until you people brought it out a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Sin is sin. It's gross, it's big, and it's forgiven by the mercy, by the mercy of our God. The question is, we know what the heart of God does with his mercy, with our forgiveness. I think over these last three weeks, we figured that out. It's time to transition it. And this week is going to be that transition. Let us not forget how big our God is. Above all things, don't ever forget how big our God is. Don't ever forget that your forgiveness, even that issue is forgiven by our God. Don't ever forget that. Because it's in that that we learn the mercy of our God. But it's time to get that forgiveness, that mercy that we cling to so desperately, and we're all holding on to our chairs. (laughs) Don't say it, Jacqueline. Don't say it. It's time to spill it out. You know, when your cup is so full, what happens? Like it literally happens to me every morning when I make my coffee, I do drip over coffee. And you put that little cup on top of your mug and you put a little filter in your coffee grounds inside and you pour hot water from a tea kettle into the tea thing or the coffee thing and it drips coffee. That's how I make my coffee every morning. So I pre-measure it, right? But I don't want to miss a sip. So this is my problem and it happened again this morning and my son laughs at me every morning. He's sitting there eating the cereal and he's just watching me as I'm holding my pour over mug higher and higher over my drinking mug because the coffee gets so close to the rim that if I move my coffee mug, it will spill. Like it literally is like ready to just burst. And so here's how I have my first sip of coffee. (laughs) You people make me tell things. I'm, I lean over, bend at the waist. It's very, very attractive. I stand by my counter, lean forward, and sip. And I got to do that a couple of times to get it low enough so I can actually pick up my mug and walk to my sitting chair and properly drink my morning coffee my 16-year-old says to me with much wisdom, Mom, why don't you just not do it that full? (laughs) So my response with my wisdom is, then I would have to dump a couple of sips. And that's not okay. But I did burn my lip this morning. (laughs) the mercy of God fills us so full that it just starts to spill. And the more we face our sin, and here's the beautiful thing of looking at gross things. The more you face your sin, the more you feel the forgiveness of God. And the more the mercy of God fills that spot where the sin overtakes you. It replaces, it literally replaces that sin ickiness inside of your heart, inside of your mind, that impurity that overtakes your head. God, God can wrap that up, throw it away, and replace it with his mercy. I can testify. I grew up in a home that was very dirty. Very mentally dirty. There are images that come into my head that used to. And I would take that on as my own sin all the time because it was in my brain, right? So if it's in my brain, then obviously it's my sin. Constantly battling this stuff. But God's mercy, when you say the sentences out loud to even one other person, it frees you. I remember the first time I shared with a friend, I struggle with this in my head. And it was like she wasn't shocked. As if I wasn't the only woman that struggled with impurity. And it freed me the more I talked about it the more I shared sin. Gross. And the more you share it and the more you give it a name, the more you shut Satan up, send him back to where he belongs, the more the mercy of God makes you look like that, that, that beautiful morning coffee mug. And it just, the mercy of God just spills out. And it's no longer a struggle. It's no longer a thought. Why? Because you face sin. So many times we're going to put that sin back there and it's getting ready to knock you over the head with it. But you get the sin behind you. You get it past it. Get over it. Don't do that anymore. And the mercy of God. Oh, the sweet, sweet mercy of God. So what are we supposed to do with it? We're going to see if we figure that out. Get your questions. We have a question guide in your study guide. Highly, highly recommend you pull out your question guide. Because I have questions and I've been asking God for answers. Do I have the answers to my questions? Not yet. But that's the beauty of scriptures. You can ask that question and pray over it and ask that question and pray over it. And when you're ready to handle it, because sometimes I'm not ready to handle the answers of the questions that I'm asking God for. Don't ever stop asking those questions. Don't ever stop reading your Bible because God will connect it when it's time. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at a very interesting story. For some of us, it's going to be a familiar story. For some of us, it's going to be brand new. For all of us, I pray that it's interesting. And as we read this, can you consider... Um, in your heart, in your head, on your paper, will you consider Matthew chapter 6? Just keep that reference. Keep that popped wherever you need to pop it. Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we see Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, he gives the Lord's Prayer. And my words just right now that are pressed so hard on my heart, consider the Lord's Prayer as we go over this. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, look it up. It's in Matthew 6. It'll be headlined. Things are headlined. Sometimes I have issues with the way Scripture headlines. Not Scripture, how men, you know, headline Scripture. But consider the Lord's Prayer. Consider the promise of forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. What's our command in the Lord's Prayer? And I pray that the Lord's Prayer will walk with us as we transition this study. Sound good? No, <laughs> no, Matthew, Mark chapter five, verse one. Here's how a piece of the story goes. It says they came to the other side. We already have questions. Um, the only one I'm going to answer right now is they collective. This is Jesus and his disciples. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And your Bible may um, spell it differently. Uh, different scripture references or versions spell it differently. I'm using the ESV verse two. It says, and when Jesus, here's our first character by name, person by name that we see in the story, we're going to see three, three people in this story. People, I say relatively, we're going to see three individual names. You'll see what I'm saying. And we're going to see three groups of people in this story. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately, there met him out of the tombs. Don't let go of the words we just read in Luke chapter 1. Where the light goes. Where does the light go? To the darkness, does it not? The light goes to the shadow of death, does it not? Don't forget what we just read from Luke chapter 1. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs. A man, here's our second person, with an unclean spirit, there's our third. Pay attention to these 3 their parts that they, they play in the story. And the story, for a side note, is not a parable. This is a true story. We tell our stories and we hear other people's stories and we get shocked. Like, that was your story? Imagine your part in this story. Imagine if you heard this story live from somebody over a coffee table. Let me tell you, this is what I witnessed. This is what I felt. This, is, this, this was me. Here's the story. This is a true story. Jesus, a man who lived in the tombs and an unclean spirit. Verse number three. He, the man, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain. We find this story in Luke, and it gives Luke, the doctor, gives even more detail on that. Luke chapter 8, if you want to um, reference it. He was bound, could not even be bound with a chain. Verse 4 says, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, That he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Does this story just absolutely break your heart? This was a human in the flesh. This was a man's story. This was his reality, overtaken completely by chains. Do we know that person? Oh, that we pray for those people, that we love our child our grandchild, our husband, our friend. We know this is a real story. We see this happen. They may not live among the tombs, but their life appears as if. This is a true, true story. Verse number five, it says night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. And always cutting himself with stones. Do you know this emotion that this man was feeling? I just referenced family members. I'm curious if in the depths of our soul, if we understand the feelings that this person is feeling. That crying out. That anguish of chains. This is a real story. This is what people face. This is what we face. Verse six, it says, and when he saw Jesus, when this man in the tombs, uncontrollable, saw Jesus, controlled his response. This is what's interesting. And when he saw Jesus from afar, which means his vision was working at this point, He saw clearly at this point. Have you ever noticed when somebody is so overtaken by chains, they can't see clearly? You're like, I just wish I could shake them and say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Something shook this man. That literally when he saw Jesus from afar, he knew who he was. He saw him and got control over himself and ran to Jesus. There's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him, period. It's not until the end of this passage that we're going to see this man. This is where sometimes I struggle with headlines in scripture, because if your Bible is like mine, my headline says, Jesus heals a man with a demon. Does yours say something similar to that? But if you look at the three parts of this story, you've got Jesus who came over from a boat, to this one man, and after this story, Jesus is going to leave again. And there's not a crowd welcoming him. Find many stories in scripture where Jesus lands on land, and there's not a crowd waiting for him. Jesus came specifically as the light to meet this man in the darkness. This was an individual encounter. This is how much Jesus loves us. But the story of this man specifically is not the only miracle that's happening here. Because the story isn't just about this man, or else this man would be the whole context of the story. This man is ultimately setting up the context of the story. Jesus, for one, is the star of the story. He always is. This man was an opportunity to demonstrate the mercy of God. Here's what happens. When... This man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. Verse 7. It says, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, and in quotes, listen to these words. He says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? This voice knew who was before him. He says this, I adjure you by God. (laughs) Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, the person in the flesh come out of what the man, the conversation that was taking place was not between a broken man and Jesus, the son of God. The conversation was taking place between the demon inside the broken man and Jesus. We talked last week where these demons came from. These demons came from the holy high heaven above. These demons once upon a time were created angels of the heavenly host who glorified God and sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. This is who we're talking about. This very person was part of that army that listened to the lies of the Father of Lies, who was marked with eternal sin. That's who we're talking about. Interesting how God stacked last week's lesson and this week's lesson, isn't it? Interesting. Jesus is having a conversation with a creation that he created, with a creation that he loved. Did he not? And this creation was overtaking a man in the flesh that Jesus came to die on the cross for. Jesus came to die for the man, that broken man. And he came and had a conversation with that unclean spirit. Interesting how that happens. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replayed, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Hear this conversation, and I implore each of us to read this conversation at home with your questions, find your answers. He, the unclean spirit, begged Jesus earnestly, don't send me out of the country. Luke gives more detail on that as well. Verse 11 says now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him. They plural that legion, the two, the thousands begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. This conversation is so deep. There are so many questions. We read this story and we think about that broken man and we think about Jesus and it's a beautiful thing to think about. In the end of his story, and we're going to finish with that story, we're going to jump up and look at that end. It's an amazing relationship that takes place, an individual calling between Jesus and that broken man. But the fascinating, interesting thing of this whole dialogue is the conversation, the mercy that Jesus shares with the demon. It's interesting. I have questions. I don't have all my answers. Don't stop asking questions. Look over, look over this dialogue that takes place. We'll find a lot of our answers in verses 14 to 18 and 19, where you see the responses of three different groups of people. Some of them witness it. Some of it hear it. Some of it go and see it. My question is, what was being said? I don't think that what was being said was much about that man. He was the source. Like, do you remember that man that lives up in the tombs? You should check him out now. But it wasn't so much about the man, because there was fear that was happening in the people that witnessed what happened. There was fear in the hearts of the people that testified, that witnessed eyewitnesses of what would happened. What would be so scary about seeing a man who lived in a tomb No longer living in a tomb. That doesn't cause fear. Smiles cross the room when I said that sentence. You see somebody who's broken, who's no longer broken because of the love of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you're not scared. You're not like, what happened? Your heart is ready to spill over. And the mercy of God just entered this person. And he's new. There's no fear there. But the people that witnessed the story was filled with fear, so much so that the herdsmen, the eyewitnesses, left town, went to the cities, went to the country, and told what they saw. What? This is my question. What did they see? I don't have my answer. But whatever they saw caused fear inside of them. And what the story says is Jesus gave permission to the demon to leave the broken man and enter the pigs. I want to know what was witnessed in this story. I want to know what was witnessed. There is a whole lot more to the story than what we read in this book. When it comes to this man who once was broken and is no longer broken, when it comes to you and me, who once were broken, but by the love and the mercy of our God, we can say, might not look great, but I'm no longer broken. Here's what it says. We're going to end with just these few verses, and I pray that the Lord will speak to our hearts what we need to hear. Verse 19 It says, And he, Jesus, did not permit the man to go with him, which was his request in verse 18. But instead Jesus gave him this command. He says, Go home. Some of us just need to stop right there. Hold on to that command. He says, Go home to your friends and tell them. Interestingly, he doesn't say go to the city, go to the herdsmen, go to the country, go to all the people. He says, Go home to your your people. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and tell your friends how he has had mercy on you. Are you willing to tell how much mercy God has shown in your life? Sometimes it's not easy because to tell how much mercy God has poured into your life means telling a little bit of your story. So be careful whose ears you trust. Thank you for being trusting yours for mine. But I challenge each of us, write your story. Start there. Write, this is God's mercy in my life. After you write it, give a letter to somebody. Say, here, can you read this? This is about the mercy of God. And then sit there. (laughs) And maybe when you're ready, trust somebody's ears and hear your own voice testify of the mighty things God has done because of the mercy of our God. Sound good? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, your mercy, your mercy and your love are so grand. It's so great and it never ends. Lord, we're reading a story that happened a couple of thousand years ago and we're here today testifying that, that your mercy is new every morning so individually, so personally, Lord, you met every single one of us. You are meeting every single one of us where we are, as we are. And we thank you so much. We thank you so much for calling us by name, loving us by name, loving us so fully, so entirely that even the sin that is hidden so deeply within our DNA, you wash. You wash through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much for the freedom and the newness that comes through the gift of salvation. I pray that you'll be with us. I pray like I prayed at the beginning that you'll open our eyes to who we are in the eyes of God. That we'll see ourselves to the mercy that you've poured in us. And I pray that you'll help us to spill that mercy out on one more person. And we pray these things and ask you to go with us in this challenge and this journey in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Telegram at WI Online. If you need prayer, contact us at womeninseparable at gmail.com.